0: Hello, and welcome to Tech UK's podcast. My name is Laura Foster, Program Manager of Tech and Innovation at Tech UK, and I am the host of this month's podcast, NFTs Beyond the Hype What Are They, and What Does the UK Tech Sector Need to Know? NFTs, or Non Fungible Tokens, are tokenized versions of assets that have been leading news stories in 2021, from revolutionizing the art world to the music industry. Perhaps underexplored is how NFTs will move beyond these new stories and emerge in the UK as a key technology to support use cases such as smart contracting, e-commerce and supply chains. In this podcast, I am joined by three industry leaders to explore what NFTs are and why the tech sector needs to be paying attention to these beyond the hype cycle. We'll also discuss how the UK can facilitate growth of NFTs for the tech sector and address important concerns over the legality and compliance of NFTs. I hope you enjoy this quite lively podcast, and please do reach out if you have any questions about Tech UK's blockchain campaign. So firstly, I want to give you all a moment to introduce yourself and and the work that you are uh, currently doing. So Jean-Vierre Lavielle, should we start with you?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm Jean-Vierre Lavelle and I am the CEO of AgriLedger and founder of AgriLedger. And we have basically worked on, on a value chain, supply chain solution in the agricultural space, working with the government of Haiti, transporting mangoes and avocados to the U.S., and this was a project uh, sponsored by the World Bank. Aside from that, I do a number of things in digital identity, and I'm also the vice chair of the DLT Working Group at Tech UK.
0: Thank you so much for joining us here today. Um, Anthony, can I go to you next?
2: Sure, absolutely, Laura. Thank you so much for the kind invitation my name is Anthony. I'm a partner in IBM. I focus on blockchain technology, which means everything relating to strategy, business case, technology delivery, and then management of blockchain platforms. I focus across a number of different areas in supply chain and sustainability, looking at digital identity, tokenization and token-based business models, all for IBM's clients in the UK and Ireland.
0: Thank you. And last but certainly not least, Sally. Hi,
3: Laura. Um, My name is Sally Mures. I'm a partner at Walker-Morris, a law firm. Uh, I head up the technology and digital practice there, and I'm a member of the firm's innovation committee. Uh, My practice encompasses all aspects of uh, technology-related contracts, so helping clients with technology solutions, helping new suppliers into the area with emerging technologies and how to contract for those.
0: Thank you so much, Sally. And I can't wait to, uh, in this podcast in a little while, get into a couple more questions about uh, the legal ramifications of NFTs. But the first question I have, it it might be a little bit obvious, but for listeners of the Tech UK podcast who maybe not work in this area, uh, can you explain what an NFT is and how this differs ever so slightly from blockchain? And Anthony, I'll go to you as the tech guru on this call.
2: I'll take a first stab at this one. So, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, is essentially the representation of a digital asset that is unique. So non-fungible means it's unique. It's not interchangeable in the same way a Bitcoin can be swapped and replaced or split down into Satoshi's. It is a representation of a digital asset or a digital asset that can sometimes be a representation of a physical thing. And I'll get into that in a second. But essentially, it's a way of tracking ownership. Or the history and then relating ownership of particular things. And a lot of people associate this with digital collectibles. You've seen Crypto Kitties, you've seen Crypto Punks, you've seen Rare Pepes, a number of uh, frankly quite confusing terms that most people who aren't blockchain geeks like the rest of us may not have any meaning for. But actually those sorts of assets could be financial or non-financial. So we've talked about collectibles, it could also be intellectual property, it could be ownership of commodities, ownership of goods and services, a physical garment, a watch. It could be real estate. Also, from a financial perspective, it could relate to equity, debt, derivatives, currencies, a whole bunch of different things. So from what can you do with an NFT, lots and lots of scope there. But hopefully that's a helpful start.
0: Exactly. And some of the use cases you've mentioned there, we're definitely going to dive into in just a second. But Sally, I wonder if there's anything you want to add to the definition of NFTs from a legal perspective.
3: Yeah, no, I I thought what Anthony said was very interesting and and obviously completely agree with his perspective on it. I I, I guess from from my side, I, I sort of come at NFTs as a way of solving a problem around ownership of, items, assets, and maybe they're digital, but maybe they're not, where provenance can be challenging because they're unique in nature. And the idea of capturing the NFT in blockchain DLT technology to be completely certain about where that ownership lies, I think is really interesting. So for me, it's a kind of evidentiary um, token
1: uh, related to a specific asset. Actually, I wanted to throw a curve to Antony. Something that uh, working with new team members, he actually said, Isn't NFT currency equal to CBDC? Because we are creating something which is representing one thing and also, in a way, cannot be, you know, uh, a euro dollar will always be a euro dollar. And you are tracking. Technically, you should be tracking this on the blockchain, and you're evidencing its travel. Obviously, there is, and remember, even with NFT, you can fractionalize it by a secondary, but at the end of the day, it doesn't change its view. So I'm actually thinking, is CBDC actually an NFT in itself?
3: Uh, can I make a comment on that? Because I think that's a really interesting point. But for me, the NFT doesn't have intrinsic value in itself, it's related to the link it has to the digital asset. Which often is a separate. I mean, I know we had the was it the Jack Rosary tweet that was kind of embedded in, in the NFT. But in many cases, there, there's there's a link, isn't there, to a separate asset. And certainly, when we come on to think about some of the legal challenges around that, particularly around intellectual property rights, the intellectual property rights that might be in the NFT and the intellectual property rights that might be in the digital asset. In my mind, they are two separate things. So that. That, for me, differentiates it from Bitcoin or Ether or, or as you're saying, Genevieve, C-DBC. Um, that was my view. I don't know.
1: Um, in ways, though, th- that's actually the challenge I'm throwing to say because you, it is digital currency is an asset. It's uh, And if we look at how BD, uh, BTC and Ethereum is being considered by many um jurisdiction, it's an asset. And when you actually take that asset into liquidity, does it then have value? So your intrinsic value is tied this way. Now, the key about the NFT, it's unique, it is trackable, and it has it has a representation. Right now, what we've been seeing is where it's an art which is embedded. There's a copyright. There is a drag on right that can be added to it. But Fundamentally, it's an asset that you're transferring, and that asset could either be physical so there is that digital and physical um, collection, co- uh, connection, or it can actually just be digital on its own. And because we recognize its value, then that is the intrinsic value of it. And that is what the central bank is doing through its regulatory aspect and the fact that they're limiting. The, uh, the, the availability, creating that scarcity, which is what money is all about.
2: I would say there's a number of different schools of thought around central bank digital currency, the level of programmability that is desirable relating to whether you specifically want that linked to individuals wallets or not, whether you want to be able to allow and to remove access and whether you want to even use a token or not, or whether you just want to be able to settle and you can use a form of distributed ledger as opposed to a token structure to do that. We hosted a really interesting um, cross group uh, podcast vlog with Monetary Authority of Singapore, R3, JP Morgan, um, OECD and ourselves that. I can try and get a link to that as well because a lot of these topics were covered there and hopefully that might allow Laura to come back to the original (laughs) questions that we were looking to start with.
0: (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I completely promise. These conversations are incredibly useful, and exactly what we we want to be highlighting through a podcast on NFTs. This is what is really interesting for Tech UK at this moment. But just for our listeners who might not be fully fully aware of what NFTs are, we've gone into a, a, some of the legal ramifications there around NFTs. Um, but taking a step back, Sally, is there any chance that you can maybe talk about? Some of the legal ramifications that are coming up right now around NFTs um, at a basic level before we can yeah. we kind of go into these, these so, large conversations.
3: Absolutely. So, I mean, there's lots of conversations going on around what intellectual property rights there are in NFTs, um, what rights you are granted as part of an NFT, if you mint. An NFT. Um, are you infringing if you if you mint someone else's work? As I think was one of the questions that you'd raise, Laura. Are you infringing a third party's? Um, intellectual property rights. And these are all really complex and challenging questions because the nature of what an NFT is, and that's what we were just debating really, um, is kind of central to this. So, So in my mind, the NFT is separate from the asset that it relates to. And when you are granted rights and and you're minting an NFT, it really depends what those rights are and what the asset actually is. So you may take complete ownership of the copyright in the asset, so you might be able to therefore be free to do anything you want with that asset. Or you may be just taking a license to use it in limited circumstances. There may be rights around royalties being paid back to the original author or owner of the intellectual property in the NFT. And all of these things are really, really complex issues. Um, And how they're then executed is really set out in a smart contract. Now, smart contracts tend to be fairly simplified if they're smart code contracts, because they sit on the blockchain technology and they execute um, a transaction. But clearly, it becomes much more complicated if you're trying to put restrictions on ownership and bed those um, into the NFT. And I think this is where, I mean, there's lots of debate going on amongst academics about what this means and I can see some new law emerging really around intellectual property rights and NFTs coming down the track
1: quite soon. I think that what we have seen thus far has been really around art and digital art. Yes. Uh, There is a lot of new things happening in terms of you know I, I like to think about like let's say a book if I write a book and I sell you a book. Does that mean that you can take pages from that book and publish them? No, but you can enjoy that book. And as long as you're not making money from it, you could actually read a passage from that book to a gathering of friends. Yes, yes, absolutely. absolutely. So what happens now, that's very clear in terms of how we behave. Now, the NFT has blurred that.
0: Um, Anthony, I don't know if there's anything you want to come in on, on that point either.
2: I think what's important, what we're challenged with at the moment is we've got democratization of issuance, which is brilliant, right? So we've got the ability to, we've got a protocol, we've got a standard against which we can issue those particular rights, particular content. We'll get into some of the use cases in just a second in terms of where it's being used. But relatively speaking, the barrier to entry around tokenizing ownership to a piece of content or monetizing a piece of content is really, really low right now, which is fantastic. So assuming that the platforms on which we're issuing to and the legalities and the perpetuity of those platforms is robust. Anybody anywhere can think about how they can monetize their content. Those can be small artists. Those can be content creators, film producers, musicians, Sneaker manufacturers, all of the above, right? You've got an opportunity for anybody to be able to issue limited, unique digital content or representations of content. Everybody up to large mining companies and governments can get on the train. And so what you're seeing now is a proliferation of use and testing out what might work. The early cases of unique you know, Andy Murray sporting moments or, you know, specific trading cards that have been created by digital artists that are high value or memes that all went for half a million dollars plus because they had some unique value to them or they were associated to a unique unique wallet or unique individual is super, super interesting. Where I think we need to get to though, is to be able to provide a little bit more depth to that experience, right? The provenance, the information behind those tokens is what's really interesting or what's potentially valuable. When we talk about a piece of artwork, it's that it's come from a unique artist. Maybe right now they're not famous, but like jean have said, as we track in future, one of the, I think, most interesting use cases was the Kings of Leon issuing tickets as NFTs.
3: Yeah.
2: As they sell those tickets on, there's a royalty associated or there's a, you know, a percentage fee associated that as it gets sold on, 5% of the sale fee goes back to the artist, which from a programmability perspective from a smart contract perspective is super useful because as the artist gets more eminent the value of their work increases and that share can be paid back to the artist programmatically such that they've got their wallet it doesn't it's managed automatically it's very easy to do assuming that those transactions happen on platforms that recognize those particular standards And this is one of the challenges that we face at the moment is that we've got a few interoperable standards at the moment. You look at some of the more common platforms like SoRare or OpenSea, MetaMask Wallet, those integrations are relatively, relatively there. But with other public blockchains, it's possible to avoid them. Or if you're looking at creating royalties or being able to monetize royalties from ownership of a particular license for something, anything, media, content, music, are those royalties Or the ability to monetize those royalties linked into the platforms where you've got ownership and wallets linked to them there's this entire kind of mess of spaghetti of integration that needs to happen between all these platforms to enable these things to work at scale and oftentimes the incumbent providers of those platforms don't really want to mess around with their core business model don't want to change it or don't want to create more fairness necessarily we've seen how many small pop-up competitors itunes have come up and very few of them actually scaled because the big incumbent messy player got on with it and didn't let them scale, or there wasn't enough consumer demand to make it happen. That having been said, with blockchain, we've got democratized global, relatively easy, relatively low cost access. So we're just at the beginning. And I want to talk a little bit later about how do we look at the next generation of NFTs that create serious, interesting value. But that's my take on where we are at this stage.
3: I, I mean, there's a point there, isn't there, about going, bringing it back to the intellectual property ownership? Because obviously, if you mint a work, you have to be clear in creating that NFT what rights you're giving to the purchaser of that NFT around the work. And and we're talking, I think now, in terms of it just being really simple. You've got a right for, say, personal use. You've got a right to listen to it. You've got a right to display it in your wallet, depending on what it is. But in reality, intellectual property rights are a lot more complicated than that. And you can see situations where people could still lose control of revenue I think Genevieve was mentioning this how do you think I mean from a technical perspective that we can write smart contracts that are sophisticated enough to be able to police the complexity around different intellectual property ownership issues because for me that is not very straightforward at the moment and and we're get. I know we get into the weeds on academics talking about different aspects of intellectual property rights in FT's and I know it's complicated and there will need to be some further guidance on that but there's a whole piece there isn't there about what are you actually getting what rights are you getting where is the value in the token is it a right just to have it on my computer it in my wallet can I print it off and put it on my wall can I make a t-shirt out of it that only I wear can I make a t-shirt out of it that 20 people can wear all of those letters Levels of issues around tokenization and what's in that token are really critical. And when you flip that to consumers, you know, there's a whole point there about consumers have got to be treated fairly. That's built into our law. Um, and they won't understand this. You know, they're not, it's not, I, I take your point, Genevieve, on buying a book, but it's not as simple as that. We know when we buy a book, we can't copy it and sell it to our friends. I think with NFTs, it's more complex.
1: I think that. The first thing I would say is NFT has just come into what I would call fashion now. <laughs> we have been, you know. So I would sort of say that the whole assetization, token asset representation, is something that's been going on for the last four or five years. I've played in the space, and I had the opportunity. I think that there's a lot of it going on in China. We just now have this nifty, you know, NFTs easy on the tongue. Uh, so we've always been doing different type of tokens. So tokens that are can be changed. So like an asset, you can have an asset escrow, an asset transfer, an asset transformation, and then you have something like an apple. The apple is an apple, an apple, an apple. You can never change it. You can incorporate in other things, and this is where. Because I also believe that smart contracts have evolved from being a very simple piece of code. So when you look at, let's say, a smart contract um, in the early starts of uh, Ethereum, not looking at DeFi or DX or those kind of things, you were saying if this happened transfer. If this mm-hmm. doesn't happen, don't transfer. Versus yeah. what we've actually been able to do with A solution at Agriledger is we monitor events such as the temperature, the humidity, the time, and if those are breached, you don't just have so you have the happy path and you have the unhappy path where you can now start having um, this idea of uh, dues or um, infraction that have happened, and there's a cost to those. Who participate so I think that what we're seeing is that the technology is now creating these aspect of being able to move in um, you know and I actually do believe that the pandemic has accelerated this because we can't get to places we now have to try and create a way to trust the system even more that what we say has happened, has happened with the least number of people having to go physically look at it. So what you have now is this representation of asset, digital or physical. Uh, The whole idea of being able to match a physical to a digital still continues to be a a problem. Uh, I had uh, the uh, the fortunate uh, aspect of working on Carbon Crypto uh, Network, which was looking to sell a diamond bracelet backed by an NFT. And one of the questions I asked them is, okay, so I buy the diamond, I buy the NFT, you deliver a diamond, physical diamond to me. Do I get that NFT now to be able to prove to the next person that I'm selling it that the diamond hasn't changed? And that wasn't where they had taken it. They were just taking it to where this idea of, oh, I can now wear that diamond also in the metaverse. I suggest that we can now look at how value is being created. So we we are playing still, um, and what I, the reason I think it's playing is a lot of people are talking about metaverse. We are playing uh, in this this world, which is a digital world. So as we go from the digital world, and if we look at all the, what has happened in the last twenty years in the metaverse coming into reality, this is where I think now with the inability to be together, we can start moving to new instruments which uh, enrich our lives.
2: What I think you've described there really nicely is building on Sally's point, we will be able to identify or acknowledge that there are individuals who have ownership rights, that we can transfer those ownership rights digitally and seamlessly and transparently, and that we can do that in context in certain processes or in certain workflows with certain protocols and where those things exist we can make that fast global borderless transparent easy low cost right that's that's the that's one of the kind of main promises of web3 and blockchain is that it's really easy to do settlement and reconciliation where those protocols don't exist where you have isolated blockchain platforms with tokens where you don't have interoperability that's where you're going to have challenges and in the same way as you know the blue tick on Twitter, the authenticity of NFTs or the ability to identify whether or not somebody has the ownership rights of a particular platform uh, or a particular NFT, sorry, is likely only to come under challenge during dispute until yeah. we identify ways at the beginning to validate ahead of time in the same way we validate people before they're given bank accounts. How do we validate ownership rights of content around NFTs, which will peel back some of the democratization to an extent? It will become a slightly more painful process. And it can't just be because a whole bunch of other people have clicked like on the content. There's going to need to be some more robustness around that. But this is why we need more lawyers in blockchain, because we want to continue to enable this innovation, but we don't want to stifle it by putting in a whole bunch of processes. Mm.
0: Um just coming in on that, that's a very, very interesting conversation that we're kind of getting onto. But um, before we move on, Anthony, this, this can be an incredibly complex area, so is there any guidance or resources that you can point our listeners to, to learn a little bit more about the standards and interoperability area?
2: Gosh, there's so much open source content out there on GitHub, on Twitter, on Reddit. Um, we've done our own roast of NFTs, which actually brought together an inventor, an architect, a lawyer. Uh, Brendan Cooper, who works for Panini Blockchain, specifically on NFTs, he knows a thing or two about collectibles. I realize this is pointing at my own work, which is a little bit self-serving, but (laughs) it's the one that's freshest (laughs) in my memory. So if you check out Blockchain Won't Save the World, either on YouTube or Google, Spotify, podcasts and Apple, uh, go and look at the roast of NFTs. And we talk through for about an hour the best and the worst of NFTs and actually what are the critical success factors to make it work.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. Um, I'm a little bit aware of the time, the fact that we've already been talking for, for over 20 minutes now. Um, before we kind of move on to what we're most excited about in the future with NFTs, um, are there any enterprise use cases that either Anthony or jean vier you, you kind of want to highlight that we might not have mentioned just yet?
1: So as I explained, I talked about the one which is looking at the, the movie industry and the music industry. Um, the people behind Kodak One recently, uh, told me at the end of the month of august they're going to be having a nft marketplace which allows for music to be sold at the local level but not only the the one thing about this, this is being done by lawyers which are in copyright and have been selling images for a while it will be looking at the mixture of both online and offline which then tell make, begs the question how much is on blockchain uh, is it just the NFT? And the other thing is also allowing people to pay in in fiat, so cash, and also in crypto. The challenge that there is for many um, of the available uh, sites right now is that you need to have crypto. You need to have either Bitcoin or Ethereum to be able to buy those NFTs. So there is that uh, getting on the rails, on the crypto rails, versus now what we're, trying, we're starting to see are mixtures of both crypto, where the NFC is going to be, uh, the individual information being more in a different database or a different secure database to preserve uh, privacy, and then allowing people to pay in cash instead of crypto. Anthony, is so there anything you want to add?
2: I think there's been quite a wide spectrum of enterprise use cases if you look at tokenization broadly. So right through from tokenization of commodities, If you look at uh, a project that IBM was involved with, Nurel's Nickel, where we were looking at tokenizing palladium, so you would have individually minted, individually certified bars of palladium that could then be owned by institutional investors, those looking to use palladium for their manufacturing process, or available on a wider, more open market, so you can increase liquidity, increase access to capital for those particular commodities. You're starting to see some emergence in the real estate space in terms of tokenization of of condos, of private properties, or commercial real estate. So I think that's still quite early because jurisdiction by jurisdiction, that's more complicated as a domain. You can look at digital fashion in terms of representations or accompanying products. I know Jean-Louis talked about diamonds. You can also talk about having tokens issued relating to a unique experience on top of a garment or a bag that you buy linked to the authenticity or the warranty Our partners or collaborators, Ariane, who are a blockchain and tokenization as a service provider, are looking at this specifically. They've done collaborations with Breitling. They're also looking at circularity around being able to track the ownership of a physical garment so you can share or transfer that ownership of a garment once it's purchased on the secondary market. So you know that a product is authentic. You may even be able to track the story relating to that artifact or that particular garment in the same way that... A car that used to be owned by a celebrity is more valuable, it's possible the same thing is true of a dress or a handbag or a pair of shoes, for example. Lots and lots in that space, too. There are examples in video. We talked about the example of Kings of Leon around ticketing, a number of other specific um, token-based ticketing propositions, guts in the Netherlands to reduce the likelihood of fraud. I could go on. Right, There's a lot around how tokens can be used for authenticity, guaranteeing ownership, ensuring a digital experience, either relating to settlement reconciliation, transfer, verification. And you can also get into some exciting spaces when you tether a digital identity to that so that you can validate that somebody has ownership and they are who they say they are before they attend. So you can Host events virtually, you can look at validating that a particular digital item I and mean, gaming experience was used by a particular gamer in context. They can then be traded and brought into a different platform. That's where we're going next.
0: I think what you've really highlighted there, though, is that this is such a really exciting area and it's a really important time that we're kind of having these discussions. And I like the fact that you touched on digital ID there because a uh, little plug for Tech UK, but that is something we are going to be focusing on in the coming months. So please do reach out if, if that is of interest. But yes, that leads me on to, to my next question. And I only do have two questions left. Um, Sally, I'll, I'll go to you first. But what are you most excited for in the future of NFTs?
3: I think I mean a lot of what Anthony has said has covered kind of all the interesting developments. I think I think we're starting to talk to clients, particularly around the ticketing area, where you can use and, and Anthony touched on this. You can use NF, NFTs to uh, prevent counterfeiting counterfeiting in ticketing, but also to give enhanced experiences to certain holders of NFTs. So you were thinking about it in the context of a football match, for example, it might entitle you to lunch in the director's box or some other experience associated with the match. And we can see lots of exciting opportunities really around that. I think the whole issue around provenance in supply chain as a lawyer is really interesting. And again, clients are, are, are challenged by all of this. It's becoming more and more important uh, for businesses to understand the provenance. And, and you can see a real role, I think, for NFTs in that whole supply chain provenance area. So that would be a, a particular angle that we're really excited about.
0: Exactly, yes. I think that's such an important area to, to touch on as well around supply chains. Um, Jean-Vier, what about you? What are you most excited about for the future of NFTs?
1: I think that, you know, I, I, I kind of cheated by saying that I thought did CDBDCs were a form of NFT. I'm also thinking, you know, I'd like to see how even digital identity more in it.
0: Anthony, um, I come to you for the last of what you're most excited about in, in the world of NFTs.
2: So I'll try and summarize it as concisely as possible, but what blockchain provides us and what blockchain is very good at is open source, protocol-based, permissionless, borderless, data integration and reconciliation technology. So a data platform that sits underneath experiences, borders, people, companies, governments, et cetera, et cetera. This is what's really interesting for me about NFTs is if we're able to stop looking at those kind of siloed use cases of a celebrity launching a token or a celebrity launching a unique piece of content on a siloed platform. That's the interpretation we have today around collectibles. But I think we've got a, a lot, a lot further to go if we start looking at the the history of a product as sally said the provenance of what what is it composed of what went into the creation of that garment whether that's just supply chain data or whether that's actually the provenance of an electronic piece of content whether it was collaboration between multiple providers and the the tracking of that authentic information and being able to see digitally that there's some interest or there's that's a particular story around who created that or who was involved in the creation of that garment allows you first to kind of look at the history. You've got it then in the moment. It's mine. I can look at it. I can monetize it. I can maybe get a share of it. I can lend it out to people if it relates to tokenization of something you own. You can gift that. You can monetize that. You can make royalties from that. You can then pass it on you can then share it. The context of the journey around the token, rather than it being a static thing that you then buy or sell as a commodity, the context of how you use it, I think, is where this gets more exciting. And unfortunately, this is enabled by interoperability and those collaborations between platforms. You see every week somebody else is launching their own NFT platform. And the more I see that, the more I'm just like, oh, that that's moving us further away from where I think the interesting crossovers of a piece of content or linked to a a garment or something you own or an asset that you can then put into a particular platform, whether that's gaming, social media, enterprise, that you can then track the interactions that have happened with that particular thing, whether it's come into contact with certain individuals or celebrities or notable people that can then be traded, transferred, and then you know, the history of that, the the provenance of that particular item, physical or digital, a bag, a piece of clothing, a skin for an avatar, a weapon from a game, a particular a particular piece of content that is continually updated or enhanced. Each one of those is a story. And if you look at each one of those as a piece of art, there's value because someone cares about it. Like most most people in the European world don't necessarily love baseball cards because we don't really understand baseball. But those things go for hundreds of millions of dollars, the particularly rare ones. Maybe not hundreds, but certainly millions. If you look about digital content, the interaction and the context and the story behind it is what we buy into, what we're fascinated about, and why we want to have own a piece of that. And if that can enrich an AR or a social experience on top of that, That's what I want to see us doing. And unfortunately, the barrier to that at the moment is those crossovers, those pieces of interoperability. But that's what we're focused on and that's what we're working towards. So that's what I want to see.
0: Thank you. And I think that leads very, very nicely into what my final question is going to be. So I'll just come straight back to you. But um, in just a couple of words, can you summarize what message do you want to leave our audience with today?
2: First things first, give it a try. Until you've owned your own NFT until you've downloaded your own MetaMask wallet, until you've browsed through the the hundreds and hundreds of terrible memes and awful pieces of content out there and found something you can actually connect with, it's a little bit abstract. So first things first, actually go try it out. Download a MetaMask wallet, buy a small amount of ether. Yes, the transaction fees are probably going to feel abusive to start with, but just roll with it for the sake of 20 pounds or 20 euros or $20. You can probably get yourself your first NFT, look at it in a wallet and be like, What is this? This is nonsense. But you're already then taking your first step. Try and follow the scene. If you're looking at Ledger Insights or Twitter or just browsing on OpenSea every once in a while, keep an eye on what's out there. And the more you see the examples of tokenization in context, the more you'll be able to see and appreciate the ideas of what's possible. Also, the final example is don't specifically just search for NFT. I, I've considered this, and I've always considered this, tokenization as a concept, not NFTs. There are many different forms of tokens. So look at blockchain tokenization, not just NFT, and you'll get a wider spectrum of the exciting stuff that's going on.
0: Thank you so much, Anthony. And just thank you so much for, for joining us here today. Um, Sally, I'll, I'll go to you next. What final words would you like to leave our audience with?
3: I think um, I echo much of what Anthony has said that people need to engage in the technologies and, and understand it. I think I'd be, is a, is a shout out for maybe some more basic information about how it works and and what's involved in in this technology, because I think there's a lot of people who are afraid of it because they don't understand it. And there's a big question for me around, and, and this goes actually to the regulators as well, who'll be looking at this area, the lawmakers, there needs to be some mechanism, I think, for explaining this in very simple terms so that people really can get behind it and understand it. Because when people are afraid of things, they tend not to get involved. And that would be a shame because there's a lot of really exciting and interesting qualities, I think, in this technology that can do a lot of good as well as being fun.
0: Very important point, Sally, thank you. And finally, jean Pierre, what final words would you like to leave our audience with?
1: Um, I'd like to bring it back to what Anthony said, which is try it because um if you don't try it, you don't understand it, and if you don't understand it, you cannot be part of the movement um, I'll never forget when I first learned of Bitcoin and ethereum. I went and I put five pounds and ten pounds, and that was it and It's beautiful how much it grew uh, among along the years. I lost my five pounds of ethereum when uh we had um the, the heist, um, but I learned quite a bit and it al- allowed me to understand because I think that if we go and we try it, then we can have better ideas on how to use it because unfortunately, we're in the middle of it so sometimes we're not able to think beyond what can be done. Uh, it goes back to Anthony's uh, new, new series where he's basically asking people, how would you use it? And finding that our engineers hadn't thought about it. So really encouragement is go out there, get your wallet and start playing.
0: Thank you all (laughs) so much for joining us here today.